0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Others bore a sort of a castle or a platform on which stood the pilots. Still others were composed of three strips of bark bound with cords and were driven by a paddle. The boats for the transport of animals and chariots were moored side by side, supporting a platform on which rested a floating bridge to facilitate embarking and disembarking. The number of these was very great. The horses, terrified, neighed and stamped with their sounding hoofs. The oxen turned restlessly towards the shore. Their shining noses whence hung filaments of saliva, but grew calmer under the caresses of their drivers. The boatswains marked time for the rowers by striking together the palms of their hands. The pilots perched on the poop or walking about on the raised cabins, "'shouted their orders, indicating the maneuvers necessary "'to make way through the moving labyrinth of vessels. "'Sometimes, in spite of all precautions, boats collided, "'and crews exchanged insults or struck at each other with their oars. "'These countless crafts, most of them painted white "'and adorned with ornaments of green, blue, or red, "'laden with men and women dressed in many-colored costumes, "'caused the Nile to disappear entirely over an extent of many miles,' and presented under the brilliant Egyptian sun a spectacle dazzling in its changefulness. The water, agitated in every direction, surged, sparkled, and gleamed like quicksilver, and resembled a sun shattered into millions of pieces. Tahoser entered her barge, which was decorated with wondrous richness. In the center stood a cabin, its entablature surmounted with a row of urus snakes, the angles squared to the shape of pillars, and the walls adorned with designs. A binnacle with pointed roofs stood on the poop, and was matched at the other end by a sort of altar enriched with paintings. The rudder consisted of two huge sweeps ending in the heads of Hathor that were fastened with long strips of stuff and worked upon hollow posts. On the mast shivered, for the east wind had just risen, An oblong sail, fastened to two yards, the rich stuff of which was embroidered and painted with lozenges, chevrons, birds, and chimerical animals in brilliant colors, from the lower yard hung a fringe of great tufts. The moorings cast off and the sail braced to the wind. The vessel left the bank, shearing with its sharp prow between the innumerable boats, the oars of which became entangled and moved about like the legs of a scarabus thrown over on its back. It sailed on carelessly amidst a stream of insults and shouts. Its greater power enabled it to disdain collisions, which would have run down frailer vessels. Besides, Tahoser's crew were so skillful that their vessel seemed endowed with life, so swiftly did it obey the rudder and avoid, in the nick of time, serious obstacles." soon it had left behind the heavily laden boats with their cabins filled with passengers inside and on the roof three or four rows of men women and children crouching in the attitude so dear to the egyptian people these individuals so kneeling might have been mistaken for the assistant judges of osiris had not their faces instead of bearing the expression of meditation suited to funeral counselors expressed the most unmistakable delight the fact was that the pharaoh was returning victorious, bringing vast booty with him. Thebes was given up to joy, and its whole population was proceeding to welcome the favorite of Amun-Ra, lord of the diadem, the emperor of the pure region, the mighty Ereus, the sun-god and the subduer of nations. Tahoser's barge soon reached the opposite bank. The boat bearing her car came alongside almost at the same moment. The oxen ascended the flying bridge, and in a few minutes were yoked by the alert servants who had been landed with them. The oxen were white spotted with black, and bore on their heads a sort of tiara, which partly covered the yoke. The latter was fastened by broad leather straps, one of which passed around the neck of the oxen, and the other, fastened to the first, passed under their belly. Their high withers, their broad dewlaps, their clean limbs, their small hoofs, Shining like agate, their tails, with the tuft carefully combed, showed that they were thoroughbred, and that hard fieldwork had never deformed them. They exhibited the majestic placidity of Apis, the sacred bull, when it receives homage and offerings. The chariot, extremely light, could hold two or three persons standing. The semicircular body, covered with ornaments and gilding, arranged in graceful curved lines, was supported by a sort of diagonal stay— "'which rose somewhat beyond the upper edge, "'and to which the traveller clung with his hand "'when the road was rough, or the speed of the oxen rapid. "'On the axle, placed at the back of the body, "'in order to diminish the jolting, "'were two six-spoked wheels held by keyed bolts. "'On top of a staff planted at the back of the vehicle "'spread a parasol in the shape of palm leaves. "'Nofray, bending over the edge of the chariot, "'held the reins of the oxen, "'bridled like horses, and drove the car in the Egyptian fashion, "'while Tahoser, motionless by her side, "'leaned a hand studded with rings from the little finger to the thumb "'on the gilded molding of the shell. "'These two lovely maidens, "'the one brilliant with enamels and precious stones, "'the other scarcely veiled, in a transparent tunic of gauze, "'formed a charming group on the brilliantly painted car. Eight or ten men-servants dressed in tunics with transverse stripes,' the folds of which were massed in front, accompanied the equipage, keeping step with the oxen. On this side of the river the crowd was not less great. The inhabitants of the Memnonia quarters and of the neighboring villages were arriving in their turn, and every moment the boats, landing their passengers on the brick quay wall, brought additional sightseers to swell the multitude. The wheels of innumerable chariots, all driving towards the parade ground, flashed like suns in the golden dust, which they raised. Thebes at that moment must have been as deserted as if a conqueror had carried away its people into captivity. The frame, too, was worthy of the picture. In the midst of green fields, whence rose the aigrets of the dome palms, showed in bright colors houses of plaisants, palaces, and summer homes surrounded by sycamores and mimosas. Pools of water sparkled in the sunshine— the festoons of vines climbed on the arched arbors, and in the background stood out the gigantic pylons of the palace of Rameses, Maomun, with its huge pylons, its enormous walls, its gilted and painted flagstaffs, from which the colors blew out in the wind. And further to the north the two colossi sitting in postures of eternal immobility, mountains of granite in human shape, before the entrance to the Aminophium, showed through a bluish haze, half-masking the still more distant Ramesseum, and beyond it the tomb of the high priest, but allowing the palace of Menofte to be seen at one of the angles nearer the Libyan chain, from the Memnonian quarter inhabited by the undertakers, dissectors, and embalmers, went up into the blue air the red smoke of the Natron boilers, for the work of death never ceased. In vain did life spread tumultuously around, The bandages were being prepared, the cases molded, the coffins carved with hieroglyphs, and some cold body was stretched out upon the funeral bed, with feet of lion or jackal, waiting to have its toilet made for eternity. On the horizon, but owing to the transparency of the air, seeming to be much nearer, the Libyan mountains showed against the clear sky, their limestone crests and their barren slopes hollowed out into hypogia and passages. Looking towards the other bank, the prospect was no less wondrous. Against the vaporous background of the Arabian chain, the gigantic pile of the northern palace, which distance itself could scarce diminish, reared above the flat-roofed dwellings its mountains of granite, its forests of giant pillars, rose-colored in the rays of the sunshine. In front of the palace stretched a vast esplanade reaching down to the river by a staircase placed at the angles. In the center, an avenue of ram-headed sphinxes perpendicular to the Nile led to a huge pylon, in front of which stood two colossal statues and a pair of obelisks, the Pyramidians of which, rising above the cornice, showed their flesh-colored points against the uniform blue of the sky. Beyond and above the boundary wall rose the side façade of the Temple of Ammon. More to the right were the temples of Khons and Of. A giant pylon, seen in profile and facing to the south, and two obelisks sixty cubits in height, marked the beginning of that marvelous avenue of two thousand sphinxes with lion's body and ram's head, which reached from the northern palace to the southern palace. On the pedestals could be seen swelling the huge quarters of the first row of these monsters that turned their backs to the Nile. Farther still, there showed faintly in the rosy light cornices on which the mystic globe outspread its vast wings, heads of placid-faced colossi, corners of mighty buildings, needles of granite, terraces rising above terraces, columns of palm trees growing like tufts of grass amid these vast constructions, and the palace of the South uprose with high-painted walls, flag-adorned staffs, sloping doors, obelisks, and herds of sphinxes. "'Beyond, as far as the eye could reach, O stretched out with its palaces, its priests' "'colleges, its houses, and in the dimmest distance the crest of its walls and the summits "'of its gates showed as faint blue lines. "'Tahoser gazed upon the prospect which was so familiar to her, but her glance expressed "'no admiration. "'However, as she passed a house almost buried amid luxuriant vegetation, she lost "'her apathy.' and seemed to seek on the terraces and on the outer gallery some well-known form. A handsome young man, carelessly leaning against one of the slender pillars of the building, appeared to be watching the crowd, but his dark eyes, with their dreamy look, did not rest on the chariot which bore Tahoser and Nofray. Meanwhile the hand of the daughter of Padamunov clung nervously to the edge of the car. Her cheeks turned pale under the light touch of rouge which Nofray had put on, and as if she felt herself fainting, she breathed in rapidly and often the scent of her nosegay of lotus. End of chapter two. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah.